Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we come before your throne and ask that you would meet with us. Thank you for making the way possible. In in fact, some of us really try hard to run the other way. And we need to turn around and run home because we know that there's arms open for us. And so we thank you for our Savior, Jesus. And uh, that's who we want to hear from today. And we thank you for Dan that he brings your word to us. Bless him, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. It is a really good honor to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to come out here today. I think it was a couple of years ago that I was here. And uh, for some reason, I haven't been, uh, been out since. So it's a great honor. I really, I really love the worship. Thank you for leading us in worship. Um, there was one line of one song that said, boldly, I approach the throne. And I, I need to be reminded, maybe you do too, what a tremendous honor it is actually to come right into the presence of the Father, to be able to worship, to be able to pray, to be able to be. Um, that came at great cost. What we did today actually came at great cost. A few years ago, we were in um, Israel and uh, just on a tour, a tour guide, his name was Yehuda, and he was a uh, Orthodox Jew. He, he knew the Old Testament inside and out, um, probably better than most of us do. He knew the history and the geography of Israel, and he knew we were Christian. And at one point, he stopped, and he said, I got a question for you Christians. He said, why do you think that when Jesus died, God took the curtain and tore it from, t- uh, was it top to bottom? Um, why do you, and we gave him all the Christian answers. Well, because when Jesus died, that means that we have a way into God's presence. You know, it means that we have access. And we gave him all that stuff. And he, he, did, he said, I'm not sure about that, he said. He said, I'm a Jew. And he said, when a Jewish father loses his son, we all know that he tears his robes. He said, if, you, if Jesus was really God's son, I think the father was heartbroken and tore his robes. I never forgot that. It's changed the way I look at that. I, I say to myself, we get to come into God's presence through what Jesus did, but it, it broke God's heart to, to provide a way for us to come into his presence. And so we worship today, come into God's presence, and it's the greatest honor of our life. The most important question that you or I could ever ask, most important question, is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I remember Dr. Keller, Tim Keller, was preaching one day, and he had a Q&A after, and a girl stood up at the back, and she said, Dr. Keller, she said, if I become a Christian, do I have to change my sexuality? She was a, in a lesbian relationship. She said, do I have to change my sexuality? And he said, he said, young lady, you are asking the wrong question, the wrong question. He said, the question that you need to ask is, who is Jesus? Because if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is God, that has implications not only for your sexuality, but for everything else in your life as well. And I thought that was a great answer. Most important question you can ever ask is, who is Jesus? And and I think as you're going through this series this fall, the I am statements uh, about Jesus, that you're getting a pretty, you should be getting a pretty clear answer about who Jesus is. I want to take you today to the, um, to the book of Revelation, last book in the Bible, where you have another great I am statement. I am the Alpha and Omega. And that gives real clarity, actually, to the question, who is Jesus? If um, you want to look it up, it's in Revelation chapter 1. Actually, that statement, I am the Alpha and Omega, happens two times in Revelation. 
Once in chapter 1 and once in chapter 21. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8, it goes like this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty. The Alpha and Omega, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And then in Revelation chapter 21, um, it occurs again in verse 6. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I'll give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. I'm the Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I'll give water. Um, Alpha and Omega, you know, this, uh, the, the first letter of the Greek alphabet, last letter of the Greek, Greek alphabet. What he's saying is, I am the God that embraces all of reality, all of reality. I'm the beginning, I'm the end, and it means I'm everything in between as well. Um, in chapter 1, in, in verse uh, 8, where he says, I'm the Alpha and Omega, who is, who was, and who is to come, that's a statement about the fact that he's the eternal God. He is the eternal God. He always was. In chapter 21, when you read there that he's the Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, to him who's thirsty, I'll give water. What that means is he's the eternal God, but he's the eternal God with a compassionate nature, um, compassionate to those that belong to him. And you have these two ideas, the eternal God and the eternally compassionate God. Um, who comes up close and personal to people that are thirsty. Now, in the, you know, theological terms, um, I guess you'd call it his transcendence. His, he's just out there. He's just huge, the eternal God. And yet the imminence, the up close and personal nature of God, it, it's hard to get your head around. This is a God that just, he controls everything. He's above everything. He just is. And yet he's so close. He knows the hairs on our heads. Not so hard for some of us, but you know, for others, it's a bigger deal. Um, he actually, you know, he, he says, I'm the God, the eternal God, that can satisfy all of your thirst, that can satisfy all of your desires. There's nothing you're thirsty for and nothing you desire that isn't found in the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and everything in between as well. Um, now, I want to I I kind of go back for a moment to where all this I am stuff began. And I, I don't know what you've already heard. So if I'm repeating something, um, well, I'm sorry about that. You, I, didn't, I haven't heard the other talks this fall. I should have gone online and listened. But I want to go right back to where I am begins. And it's Exodus chapter 3. You're probably familiar with the story. Moses on the backside of the desert. He's 80 years old, figures he's washed up. God's given up on him. And he's, he's going about his day, and he sees a bush burning. And he turns aside to look at it. And when he turns aside to look at it, he realizes that he's in the presence of God, the holy. So he takes off his shoes. And he's told by God that even though he's 80 years old, I'm going to use you to bring the people out of Israel. And God says, go back. And he, you know, the conversation goes on. And, and he, he's arguing with God a bit. And he says, so if you're going to send me there, like, what's your name? Who are you? What's your name? And God says, my name is I am that I am. Do you remember that? I am that I am. What does that mean? Well, people have tried to explain that. It, it, it means he is, he was, he will be. It, it, it means, doesn't mean that he was only doesn't mean that he will be. It just means he is. I am. He's, he's every person's contemporary. 
okay? But there's more to it than that. And here's the point I want to... If I can get this across to you today, I'd be happy. Um, What it means when God says, I am as I am, it means he is actively present. Not just present, but actively present. That's a really important addition. Most people just would, would tell you, I am that I am means he is, he's present. It's more than that. It means he is actively present. Now, if you pull that back into Revelation, I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. It means he, is act, he was actively present at the beginning, and he will be actively present at the end, and he is actively present at every point in the middle. If you go back, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What does it mean? I am the Alpha, but he was actively present in the beginning. How so? Well, the Spirit of God hovered over the chaos, didn't he? You know what hovered over the chaos means? Boundaried it in. It, it set, set boundaries that chaos couldn't get out of. You know how I pray? For, I, now I, know, I have three kids. I know this is really hard to believe. Some of you will drop dead. But I, I have five grandkids, actually. Actually, six. Five and a half. One on the way. Um, I guess that's six. Um, and, um, you know, when my, my kids were like your age... And uh, I wasn't always sure what was going on in their life and where they were. I used to pray that the Spirit of God would hover over them, just boundary in the chaos. Like, don't let them get out of that. Um, God was actively present. And you know this. I mean, you got Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, and he's, he's still actively present, isn't he? He's actively present, bringing light out of darkness, order out of chaos, life out of death. How? By his powerful word. If your life is all screwed up, messed up, I mean, we, we look good on the outside, but I mean inside, um, and there's a lot of darkness, and there's a lot of deadness and chaos, then God can do the same thing for you. By his powerful word, he can bring order out of chaos right in your heart. Light out of darkness, life out of death. And then he's actively present in chapter 2 when he makes the man and the woman. Um, chapter two, it's like, it's like zooming in on the creation account. Now, I, I, you know, there's all sorts of stuff around the creation account. I get that. Um, my, my deal is when I read the creation account is, you know, it doesn't much matter to me how he did it. It doesn't much matter to me whether it was ages or days or whatever. What matters is that he did it. What matters is that he did it. And he did it two ways. One by his powerful word in chapter one, but then in chapter 2, where he's creating the man and the woman, it's up close and personal. It's hands-on. When he made you, it was hands-on. It wasn't just standing back and saying the word. He formed us, knit us together. Actively, pre- I am the alpha. I am actively present at the beginning. Um, and, and then um, actively present at the end. Um, when your, your life will end one day, if Jesus doesn't come back, mine will too. He's actively present there. How do you, you say, where do you get that from? Psalm 116, verse 15. You know what it says? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Let me tell you what that means. You know what something precious is? It's valuable, right? Precious. Um, one time I did a series um, on Philippians, and I called it Going for the Gold. And uh, one of my fr- friends, Ryan Smith, he played for the Oilers at the time, and he'd won a gold medal down in Salt Lake City um, in the Olympics. He said, um, Ryan, could I borrow the gold medal for this series? And he said, yep, you can, but if it disappears, you better too, he said. So uh, it, it didn't disappear. I remember hanging it over the 
pulpit um, every Sunday, and we talked about going for the gold from Philippians, and there was that was that's precious, okay? But that's not exactly what it means in Psalm 116. It's nuanced a little bit. In Psalm 116, precious in the sight of the Lord is what you do with something precious. What do you do with something precious? You make sure it doesn't disappear. Here's the point. You carefully watch over it. I would take that, in between every service, I would take that gold medal off the platform. I'd get to my assistant, Wilma. I'd say, lock that in my office till the next service begins. We carefully watched over it. Why? Because it was precious. So you could translate Psalm 116 this way. Carefully watched over is the death of God's people. Isn't that cool? Actively present at the end, the omega, carefully watches over every, all the details of our going from here to the Father's house. Um, Alpha and omega, actively present, beginning and the end, and everywhere in between. So what I'd like to do with it, just for the few minutes that I have here, um, is I'd like to try and make it practical. Like I'm a pastor. I'm not an academic or a theologian. Um, we need them, but that's not who I am. Um, I want to make it practical because all bits of theology, all theology actually, um, should lead to two things. One, doxology, which is worship. Theology should lead to worship. So what you're learning about the great I am should be translated into worship. And then it should be translated into practice, how we live our life. Our theology determines how we live our life. So I want to I bring this down to the level of your life. And I want to look at it this way today. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Um, I am actively present at the beginning of your life, actively present in the middle of your life, actively present at the end of your life. I want you to get today that God is actively present at the beginning and will be at the end of your life and is right now in the middle or wherever you are. Actively present. So I'm going to bring it right down to the level of our lives. And I want to show you um, in a little bit more detail how he's actively present, how we can discern the ways that he's actively present in our life. Is this what I am means? Um, in the beginning of your life, God was actively present, and I think you know that. Um, for example, if we took Psalm 139, um, it would say what I just said to you a couple of moments ago. Let me read you a couple of verses from Psalm 139, because I think it's so significant when we're talking about how God was actively present at the beginning of your life. Um, Psalm 139 says, um, down about verse, um, where is it? Well, it was there this morning. Uh, verse 13, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. He, he knit you together. Like, it wasn't just hands-on with Adam and Eve. Hand, God took you and knit you together in your mother's womb. Um, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, get this line, your eyes saw my unformed body. You know what that means? It actually means he couldn't take his eyes off you. For nine months, while you were knit together in your mother's womb, his eyes were glued to you. Glued to you. Couldn't take his eyes off you. And then it says, um, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Um, and on and on it goes. And it says, when I wake, I'm still with you. What, what, what a lot of people think about that, when I wake, I'm still with you, is when I come out of the womb, I'm still with you. When I came out of the womb, you still couldn't take your eyes off me. Think about that for a minute. 
There isn't a day in your life, starting at conception, where God was able to take his eyes off you. Um, I, I heard the invitation for guys to ask girls to the Christmas banquet. Um, I, I don't know if this is wrong to say. I went to Briarcrest, and I, <laughs> of course, I didn't know about this school. Well, I sort of did, but I went to Briarcrest. Let's just leave that. <laughs> so, so we all make mistakes, okay? And, um, <laughs> And I, I, you know, I actually, I, I did find my wife there. I didn't go there for that. I just went there to fill in some time. But um, I, had, I had no idea I was going to be a pastor. I, was, I wanted to be a, my dad was in real estate. I was, I t- I was going to go into real estate, make a million bucks and blah, 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 blah. None of it happened. None of it will happen. And, um, I, but I remember, I remember when um, we were sitting in the balcony one day and, and these girls came in and Ginny Zeesman came in. And she was hot. I mean, she was... <laughs> What other way can you put it? Um, everything was in the right place and, uh, and, 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 and well put in the right place. And, and I, I thought, oh my goodness, like, where did that creature come from? I don't, even, I don't know what the message is about or the worship. I, I, I couldn't take my eyes off her. Like for, for the whole semester, I'd come in to church. I missed everything that went on church and I'd sit in the right place in the balcony because I couldn't take my eyes off her. And, and eventually I married her. And uh, thank you. <laughs> it's, it's so good. Um, and we have a great marriage. I know this is hard to believe. We've married for 42 years. And the secret to our good marriage is we go out for dinner twice a week. She goes Tuesday, I go Thursday. And it's just, it worked really well. It worked really well. Um, but <laughs> I have no idea where I was. Does anybody remember? Um, Oh yeah, couldn't take her out. Like, like, you know, we, we, we see all this stuff in the Bible and say, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. But think about it in your own life. Like when, when you, in that kind of a situation, there's, you can't take your eyes off someone. That's what God's saying. For nine months in the womb, I'm the alpha. I was actively present at the beginning of your life and I could not take my eyes off you. And when you came out, couldn't take my eyes off you. Still, can't take my eyes off you. That's amazing stuff. Um, do you know what Psalm, uh, Psalm Isaiah 49, verse 1. If you, in the New Living Translation, I like the way it's put there because it just brings out what the Hebrew is saying. It says, you called me by name in my mother's womb. You spoke my name when I was in my... Like, name means so much to God. Like, you were on his heart before you even knew you had a heart. Um, and if that's not enough, check out Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is David's great prayer of confession after he um, sinned with Bathsheba and then took out her husband. And it actually, you know, I don't know, you probably know this, but in the Psalms when you have a, a, a heading or a, a superscription, it says, for the director of music, a Psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. That, don't, that doesn't just give you the historical setting for the director of music. It's a very important point. You know what that means? That means this, this, this was a prayer. This prayer that David prayed, he prayed it and he found that praying it, he found God and he found mercy. So he thought, I can't lose that. So he takes the prayer, he gives it to the worship leader, the director of music, so that he can learn it, he can sing it, and all God's people can learn to pray it. For the director of music means I turn this over to the worship leader, worship pastor, so we could all learn it 
because this is a clear road to God when you've fallen into sin. And what he says there is really, really interesting in terms of what we're talking about today. Um, where, where is it? He says, um, verse 5, I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Think about that. Um, at birth, not just when we come out, but at conception, there's sin. That's what he's saying there. Um, and then he goes on and he says, um, you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. The, the New Living Translation says, you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me even there. Listen, here's, here's a cool thing about God actively present. He knows you and I were conceived in sin. But from, even though we're conceived in sin, from the point of conception, he begins to teach us wisdom even there trying to undo the work of the enemy, not just in our real time now, but from the time we're conceived, he's in the womb teaching us wisdom. That's, that's an amazing statement. God is actively present. The alpha at the very beginning of our life. You think you don't matter? You think you're random or an accident? You think uh, you don't have much purpose to your life? God says, you know, from the time of conception, I couldn't take my eyes off you, and I began to teach you there wisdom in the womb. And I called you by your name there. You're on my heart there, actively present at the beginning. And then um, I actively present, of course, we talked about at the end, and I'll skip over that. And, but I wanna, what I want to get to, too, is when he says Alpha and Omega, it's embracing all reality. It's in the middle. He's actively present right now in your life. Actively present right now in your life. So how do we discern God's active presence in our life today? November 26, 2019. Um, I, I think there's three things we need to pay attention to if we're going to discern where he's working in our life. There's probably more, but here's three that I thought about that I just jotted down. Well, I, you need to pay attention to his work in your life? What's he doing in your life, like right now? Do you remember it says in, I think it's Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, God that began a good work in your life will bring it to completion. He began a good work even at conception, teaching you wisdom. And when you came out of the womb, his Holy Spirit kept teaching you and at some point pointed you to the cross and said, you know what? Jesus did that for you. And however you did it, you asked God for mercy or you trusted him and you were given mercy at that point. Um, God saved you, in other words. But that wasn't the end of the story. It, it just goes on and on and on. And, and he's, he's, he's shaping you and shaping me to be like Jesus. And, and so one day, um, that work, it says, will be complete. But at some point right now, he's doing some, what, what kind of work is he doing right now? For some of you, it's, you know, he's nudging you. And he's saying, you know, you need to give that up in your life. You need to let go of that. That's going to kill you. It's going to hurt you. That relationship isn't good. That's, he's actively present. When, when you feel that nudge, obey it. Um, at other times, he's prompting you to, to pray and to seek his face. Well, do it. Just do it. You know, every desire that you have to worship, every desire you have to pray, Every desire you have to read the Bible comes not from you, but from the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? If God were to leave you and me right now, we wouldn't have another God thought. The Bible says nobody seeks them. We've all turned our own way. Every God thought you have 
that prompts you for love of God or love of neighbor is from the Holy Spirit. Obey it. Like, what is he actually prompting you, urging you to do in your life right now? Those are the kind of things that will help you discern where he's actively present. And the more you learn to obey the Holy Spirit and keep in step with him, um, the more progress is made in our journey to be like Jesus. He's actively present. So pay attention to the working. Pay attention to the words he speaks to you. Um, do you know, Jesus said when, in one of the I am statements, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. What did Jesus say about that? My sheep know me and I know them and they hear my voice. He says, I speak to them. God is always speaking to you. You say, well, I don't hear him. Exactly. Sometimes we, it's, because, it's not because he's not speaking. It's because we haven't been trained to listen. Um, God speaks personally by name to his people. And one of the skills and arts in our life is learning to discern the voice of the Lord because he speaks to us. How does he speak to us? Speaks just through his word. Um, how does he speak through his word? I'll give you a couple of examples. There, there are times when um, you read his word and it, something just kind of stands out. And you say, that's, that's interesting. Uh, maybe before a day's gone, you, you hear it again or you hear it through a friend, or another way. When you hear something, um, you know, two or three times in, in a row, very close, um, you should pay attention to that. God's trying to get your attention. There's other times when you're reading the Bible, and, and it's more dramatic. It's just a, this sense of, I, I think I'm being personally addressed here. Well, you are. This, I mean, this is God's love letter to us. And he actually, I don't... Re- I don't know any other way to read the Bible other than the sense of being personally addressed. We've got to apply all the disciplines of, of um, you know, right interpretation of Scripture. I get that. But in order to understand the Word properly, because God's always personally addressing us through His Word. Um, there's times when He speaks in the quietness in our hearts. Um, there's times when He can speak through a friend or somebody else. But God is always speaking into our life. How do I know when it's His voice? There's only four sources of voices. Did you know that? Think about it. There is other people. There is the enemy. Um, There is me. And there's the Holy Spirit. So if I get a thought in my heart in the quietness, I'm driving from Red Deer to to Three Hills and I'm asking the Lord to speak and he puts a thought in my heart, how do I know? Well, I know it's not other people, so I can take that one right off the map. Um, if it's a good thought, it's not the enemy. So now I'm just left with two. It's either the Holy Spirit or me. Um, I've, I've come to the place of saying, you know what? If what I think I'm hearing leads me to love God more or my neighbor more, I'll just accept that and live into it and obey it. Um, because it may just be my renewed mind because I've saturate myself in scripture. My point here is pay attention to the things he's talking to you about because you'll need to know them and they're, they're for your good. Uh, pay attention to um, his work in your life. Pay attention to his word. Pay attention to the world around you. Like what's happening around you? Where is God actively present in your world? He takes you and he takes me and he says, be my witnesses. Like Live into this life, right? Right where you are, at Prairie, um, in town, at, at home, um, wherever you are. Like, pay attention to what's going on around Sometimes we just don't pay attention enough to what's going on around us. I remember G- uh, the words of Jesus, those great words of Jesus, in John uh, chapter 5, where he says, my father's always at work. Let me just read them to you, the great words. 
Um, my father's always at work, and I too am working. I think it's chapter 5 um, of John. And Oh yeah, Jesus said in verse 17, my father's always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. Now, if, in other words, the father is at his work, okay? And then he goes on and he says, I tell you the truth, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Here's the point. The Father's at work. He is at work in our world. And like Jesus, we should have our eyes open to see what he's doing. So what we do at Crossroads is we ask our people, can you pray every day that God would open your eyes to see what he's doing right around you? Why? So that you can participate with them. Sometimes we think, you know, we go out and say, God, come with me in this deal I'm in. No, no, it's like the Father's saying, I'm already out there. You come with me. So we, we pray, Father, open our eyes so that we can see what you're actually doing in the world around us. Um, and, you know, I was, I was at a, God's always at work. It's amazing. I was at Red Deer College, um, well, three weeks ago, and I was asked to participate in the World Religions Conference. So we were up on the platform. There was a um, Muslim person there, a secular humanist here. Her name was Dr. Dennett from Red Deer College, myself, and a Hindu. And we were given 20 minutes to make a presentation. And the, the topic was, um, where do you get your value of compassion from? And I thought, I'm going to engage in this because that's a really clear opportunity to name Jesus and talked about God who's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, bounding in love, and Jesus who is the one and so forth. So I gave her time. And then, then there was question and answers. And um, I remember when Dr. Dennett was up there, I, and a secular humanist, and I sat there thinking, I have no idea how God ever reaches people like that. Like, right off God, right off everything. Like, how did God, I just thought, you know, God... I, there's no way you can reach people like Dr. Dennett. Anyway, she comes and sits back down, and we're in the Q&A, and, and we all answer the best we can. And, and every time I answer a question, she leans over and says, that was actually a really good answer. It's actually a really good answer. It's actually, I'm not, I like that too, she said. And um, at the end of the night, she turns to me and says, so what time of your services I'd like to come? And I thought, isn't that just like the Holy Spirit? Every time we say God could never, he says, actually, I think I can. <laughs> um, God is always at work. You've never met anybody that Jesus didn't die for, doesn't love, that isn't um, somebody that the Father heart longs for. Um, so what we also do is we, we, we say to people, why don't you engage in one minute longer conversations and just see where God takes that. So, we, you know, I stopped at A&W here because I was out of, I mean, I was desperate for coffee on the way here. And uh, I hadn't had one for an hour, so I stopped in there. <laughs> Not addicted, I just need it. And um, there's, a, there's a, a young lady behind the counter. Fill up with gas, there's a guy there. Um, you bump into people all day long. And usually we say, yep, thanks, I'll have that, yeah, goodbye. What if, you, what if you forgot that? Just that, pushed every conversation one minute longer and said, Father, if you're actually at work here, I'm willing to play. Just push a conversation a minute longer, see what happens. You know, it started because one day I was in Red Deer and I was going through a Tim Hortons drive-thru, needed coffee, and, <laughs> and there was a lineup behind me and a little girl, her name was Amy, leaned out the window and gave me my coffee. And I, I, for whatever reason, I just, I just I'm going to talk to her for a minute. Hey, Amy, how's it going today? And she looked at me and said, um, you come here a lot, don't you? 
I said, yeah. She said, you often come with your son. And I said, yeah. She said, I really like him, she said. She didn't know who I was. And I said, Amy, Amy, that's my son, Ryan. I said, um, actually, we go to Crossroads Church. If you come on Sunday, I will personally introduce you to him. <laughs> she showed up on Sunday. <laughs> she showed up. And uh, she didn't know I was the pastor, but then she got over that fright. She, she came out and I introduced her to Ryan and the feeling wasn't mutual. Um, it all turned out good. I got three grandkids out of the other way. So. Um, but, um, but I did say to her that Sunday, hey, Amy, glad you came. You know what, Amy, on Friday nights at my house, we, we have a barbecue. And we used to throw barbecue on. And I said, it's open for kids, kids like you. None, none of these kids go to church or don't know anything about God. But we just, we have a barbecue. Then we just, any question goes and we talk God. Would you like to come? She said, I'd like to come. She came for two years. She heard about God, about Jesus. She, she never accepted the Lord. She moved out of town with her grandparents, but I trust God will water that seed. But you know where all that began? Hey, Amy, how's it going today? A one-minute longer conversation. And I found out that God was actively present, drawing a little girl named Amy to himself. And we just got to play a little part in what he's doing. Um, God is, the thing I want you to get today, when it says Alpha and Omega, it's not just a great theological statement about a God that embraces all reality. It is that. Um, But it's much more than that. He's the God that's the Alpha and Omega of your life, of your life, who's been actively present from the very moment of conception, who's actively present right now, and who will be at the very end, and who says to you, come and work with me right now. Um, so pay attention to his word, to his work in your life, to what's going on in the world around you. How do we land this thing? Well, I, just, I think I would say this to you today. If all this is true, and I believe it is about God, and all, it's, all the great I am's that you've been going through are true about God, then I think two things follow for me. Just put them out there for you. Number one, worship them. Just worship them. Worship them. And call on his name. Call on his name. If he's actively present, you can call on his name. Do you know there's two, you know what two of the great distinguishing marks of a, a non-Christian are? We say, well, they do this and they do that. Yeah, but sometimes we do too. If you say, well, they, 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 uh, you know, they have sex when they shouldn't and they, 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 you know, they, they don't think about God. Yeah, yeah, right. Sometimes we do too. The two great things about a non-Christian to distinguish them from a Christian are these. One, the Christian has the Holy Spirit. The non-Christian doesn't. Moses said, Father, I know you've said you're going to go with me, but what's going to distinguish me from all the other peoples on the face of the earth? And God said, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. It's, It's the presence of the Spirit of God. That's one. Two is people that don't know God don't call on his name. They don't call on his name. If you look at Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, it says the fool says in his heart, there's no God. And it goes on about all the fools. And right in the middle of it, it says, and they don't call on the name of the Lord. They don't call on the Lord. It's a heartbroken God that says, I created them for relationship. I've been actively, but they never call on my name. Um, If this God is our God, and if he's actively present, just call on his name all the time about everything. Bring him into everything in your life. Call on his name. Um, it's actually, you don't have to be perfect to do that. It's actually why Samson got in Hebrews chapter 11. You know that? 
The Samson story goes from um, chapter 13 to, I think, chapter 16 of Judges. And it's, it's the, the editor, the brilliant editor of Judges, he cuts it right in half. And you can tell it's a two-part story because at the end of each half, there's the same line, and Samson led Israel 20 years. At the end of, I think it's chapter 14, and Samson led Israel 20 years. Then at the end, Samson led Israel 20 years. It's a clear sign he's dividing the story into half. But what he does with those two halves is at the end of both half, Samson calls of the name of the Lord. At the end of the first half, he's desperately thirsty, and he's about to die, so he calls on the name of the Lord, and the Lord answers him. Samson led Israel 20 years. The end of the second half, Samson calls on the name of the Lord for his strength. He brings the house down. He led Israel 20 years. I think that's why Samson gets in the book of Hebrews in the Hall of Fame, because he learned to call on the name of the Lord and trust it. Learn to call on the name of the Lord. Second thing, last thing, just trust him. Learn to trust him. Just learn to trust him. Um, let me end with this. It's 11 o'clock, so I'm going to end with this illustration. One of my Old Testament professors, his name was Dr. Bruce Waltke out at Regent College, and that was a few years ago I had a class. We always used to tell this story. He said, you know, um, I grew up in Pennsylvania down by the great Susquehanna River, and he said, every, every spring at breakup, he said, um, you know, people try and cross the river, and they weren't sure if the ice was strong enough. He said, one day a friend of his was down, and he got down to the edge of the river, and it was... Uh, ice was breaking up and he didn't know if it would hold him he wanted to get across so he, he got down on all fours at the edge of the river and he, and he held out a hand to test the ice and it seemed to be strong and so he put the other hand out so he's got both hands on there and then a knee and a knee and he's kneeling right at the edge of this river and it seems to hold him up and he inches out across the river hand after hand, knee after knee till he gets out in the middle on all fours and he hears a terrible sound behind him and he looks back, and there's a team of horses and a cart charging down the hill. They hit the river. They charge across past him and up the other side. He said, I never felt so stupid in all my life out there in all fours. But you know, that's how most of us trust God, isn't it? I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the light. I'm the bread. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the Alpha and Omega. Well, I hope he is. I really hope he's my shepherd. Yeah, throw the full weight of your life on Jesus. Full, throw the full weight of your life on Jesus. There's nothing and no one worth living for more than Jesus. Nothing. I mean, I've lived 66 years, been there, done it, and I can tell you this, there's nobody like Jesus, and there's nothing, no desire I've ever had, no thirst I've ever had that hasn't been satisfied in the person of Jesus. Thanks for the opportunity of sharing with you today. It's just, it's been great. I love being here. Can we stand together and pray? It'd be a good way to end, Mark. Can we do that? Father, I want to thank you today for your word. And I, I thank you that you committed yourself to us in writing because if you just put it up on a wall or in a, wrote it in the clouds, we'd forget it. But Father, you put in writing that you are the, and your son is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end the one that is and was and is to come. We thank you, Father, that you have been actively present and still are in our life. I pray today that we might honor you by living in the light of your word. I pray that you would teach us to know you more. Pray you'd help us to keep in step with your spirit. And Father, I pray for everybody here today that you'd please bless them and keep them. Father, I pray that you would make your face shine upon them and be gracious to them. And I pray that today you'd turn toward them and grant them peace. We pray in Jesus' name. 
And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you.